everybody. Russ, Steve, Patrick, you guys did a great job. Tony, Vita, it's great having you back uh, in, in, in person and in worship. I know you do the Zoom thing, but doesn't the singing sound better amongst the brothers, right? Amongst the family? The singing's got to sound so much better. Because I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, me, Christy, you know, and the boys singing around the table, and none of us could sing a lick. <laughs> and I know God loves a joyful noise, and we, we provide that. But the singing in here is good this morning, amen? And uh, Russ is doing a great job. But as we get into our lesson here this morning, if you look on the screen behind me, what is at the heart of peacemaking? This is something that I want us to consider, because I wonder if we have a wrong idea when it comes to peacemaking. Has God called us to be uh, maybe the, the mediator of all disputes in the world? Has God called us to be the, the mediator of all the, the disputes in the family unit, uh, in the extended families and all these different things, right? What does it really mean by blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God? What does he mean by that? And that's what the, the crux of this lesson is going to be today. We want to look at what it means to be a peacemaker. Brothers and sisters, as we reflect on the state of affairs that are within this country, Emotionally and spiritually speaking, we live in troubling times, do we not? And it seems that we live in an age of turmoil. Doesn't it seem like there's kind of constant turmoil? You guys ever watch the local news? You guys ever turn on the national news, right? Have you guys ever been on the internet, right? It seems like we live in times of just constant turmoil in this country. You turn on the news and all you see and all you hear about is the violent crimes that's increasing in, in all major cities throughout the United States. Riots and civil unrest are, are becoming more and more common as each and every uh, generation, with each and every generation, each and every year that goes by. Well, there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because, as a nation, we've been pushing God out the door for a minute now, right? I mean, year after year, generation after generation, we're getting further and further away from God. Have you guys ever really hear about what's going on in society? How there's the, the cultural shift away from Christianity, away from the church? I told you guys last week, if you look at it from a, a, a statistical standpoint, if you go back just even 30 years... 83 to 87% of the country would identify with some form of Christianity. Now that number for the first time is less than 50%. For the first time in our nation's history, that number is less than 50%. Well, you see the breakdown of the family unit in America. Do we not see that in society? Do, are we not seeing that in the schools? Anybody here is a school teacher, you can raise your hand because I guarantee you see it in the classroom. You see the breakdown of the family unit. You see what it's, what it's happening and what it's doing to American society. And so, brethren, we, we regularly hear about things like ethnic and religious intimidation. Uh, you hear about it on a regular basis. There are many uh, other problems that can be listed, but I think you get the point. The point is that we are living in troubling times. But I want you to ask yourself a question. We could focus on the troubling times or we could focus on something else. You know, that's what I love about uh, us as human beings and having free will. We get to choose what we focus on, right? You get to determine what those thoughts are that run through your head on a, regular, on a regular basis, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's that self-talk that you could be in your work meeting, you could be in worship service, you could be out to dinner with the family. Isn't there like a constant stream of thoughts that are going through your mind on a regular basis? Well, you get to determine what you want to do with those thoughts. You get to determine uh, how negative they're going to be, or you get to determine how positive they're going to be. And so I asked the question here this morning, uh, if you really think about 
uh, uh, American society right now, we could see that we, uh, we are, as, a, as, a, as a country, we're not the first generation that's dealing with the, problem, the problems of the, uh, that we see. We're not the first generation of Americans that are dealing with troubling times. We're not the first nation in the world that has to deal with these similar problems. Are we the only nation that has experienced ethnic and religious intimidation? Are we the only uh, nation that's ever experienced various forms of racism, hates, political division, unrest, and so on and so on? Are we the first nation that's ever had to deal with these things? Are we the only nation that has to deal with this rioting that we've seen that's become more commonplace in the, in the last few years, uh, in the civil unrest because of injustices? No, brethren, I'm here to tell you that all nations throughout time have had to deal with these same exact problems. There's a reason why Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9 that there's nothing new under the sun. And so what's my point here this morning? My point here this morning is you'll get to determine as an individual, as a child of God, how you're going to deal with these so-called problems, how you're going to deal with these situations. Just as in times past, we need to learn how to emotionally as well as spiritually deal with all these same problems, just like the previous uh, generations and previous nations and people groups that have come before us. All throughout time, brother, mankind has been dealing with these things. As long as God allows mankind, uh, mankind to exist, for as long as he allows us to exist, you're always going to see these same things. My brother, Jerry, uh, my brother uh, and friend Jerry always said, I, I, I fell into the trap every single Sunday. Jerry, what's new, brother? Nothing new under the sun. I'm like, oh, come on, can you come up with something new? Every time I see him, I fall into the trap. What's new? Nothing new under the sun, my friend. And what was, what was Solomon talking about, right? It, was he talking about that we never experienced anything new uh, uh, from a specific incident type standpoint? No, that's not what Solomon was talking about. Human eyes and ears rarely experience contentment. And he's basically letting us know that there's nothing new under, under the sun in regards to larger patterns of life. Since the beginning of time, there's always been life and death. There's always been birth and death. There's always been love and hate. There's always been joy and suffering. And so he says there's nothing new under the sun, not in a specific incident set, but in larger patterns of life. And so you think about this for a minute. These human experiences are nothing new. Even though they may, express, they may be expressed differently at different times by different generations, think about it for a moment. Um, in every society since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve, until now there has always been love and pain. Amen? There's always been anger and joy. There's always been peace and war. There's always been sickness and health. There's always been generosity and greed. There's always been contentment and jealousy. So, in a sense, he's telling us in the larger patterns of life, there's really nothing new under the sun. You see, the things that we deal with today and the problems of this life are something that every nation, every generation of mankind, going all the way back to the garden, has had to deal with. And so, brethren, in these times of uncertainty, I need you to take a deep breath. Right now, let's just take a deep breath. Have you guys ever, you know, you're stressed out, you're, you know, you're going through it, you're going through, going through some things, and, and sometimes you just got to take a deep breath. There's times where, you know, it's time to, you, you know, you have a busy day, you got a lot going on, and, and most of us usually pray before a meal. There's sometimes before I start my prayer, because I'm not necessarily in the mindset, but you know what, we're going to pray before this meal, 
you take a deep breath sometimes. You ever do that in life? Where sometimes you just kind of take that deep breath, right? And just kind of exhale slowly. Brethren, I'm here to tell you that I want you, each and every one of us to take a deep breath. And I need you to remember who's ultimately in charge. In a world of chaos and dysfunction where nothing really is new, as I just pointed out, no matter what is going on, we need to remember ultimately who's in charge. No matter what is going on in society around us, no matter how dysfunctional the government becomes, is God still in charge? Does Jesus still sit on the throne? Is Jesus, does he still have all authority in heaven and on earth? So brothers and sisters, many Christians, they say things though like, but how could God allow this to happen? Fill in the blank. How could God allow this to happen to our nation? Fill in the blank. Don't forget, brethren, that our nation has been pushing God out the door for decades now. And so don't forget that not only have we been pushing him out the door for decades, it's not God who's turned his back on us. It's American and our society and our nation that have turned our backs on God. Amen? And you can see that by what is celebrated and what is approved in society. And so, brothers and sisters, in, every, in this country, we, are now, we now approve of all forms of very, various immorality, right? Usually when you see that word immorality, pornea, used, it's talking about something sexual in the scriptures. But immorality really can mean different things depending on the context that you're using it. And so, in American society, around this nation, you see all forms of various immorality which are being promoted, they're being celebrated by large parts of government and society. And then various denominations of Christianity have gotten, have gotten into it as well. And they're starting to approve of vast swaths of immorality, things that God calls an abomination. They're telling people now, hey, don't worry about it. God's a God of love. Do you know that there's denominations now, and I've mentioned this to you before, they're starting to be Christian denominations who no longer teach hell is a real place. And that there's not consequences, because surely God is a God of love. He won't send anybody to hell. Brothers and sisters, we think about this information here this morning. Let's not get it twisted. What is happening in our nation is not God turning his back on us. What's happening is a result of the majority of Americans. As I said, for the first time in our country, if, they, if you take a poll, for the first time in our nation's, country, our, our nation's history, less than 50% of the people identify as some form of Christian. And so what is happening as a result of that, is a, what's happening is a result of that. What we're seeing approved and celebrated in society as immorality is because no longer people hold God and his standards to the, to the, to the foundation of their lives. People are not building the foundation of their homes upon the word of God and his moral standards. They're building the foundation of their homes on things that are approved by cultural, approved by culture and approved by society and things that make them feel good. Hey, if it feels good, it must be right. Trust in your hearts. That's what you see in the movies and you hear in the books. Trust in your heart for the Lord knows or for, uh, for your heart will lead you astray. But the Bible tells us that if you trust in your heart, that you're a fool. Why? Because it's more deceitful than all else. So brothers and sisters, that is why we are called to not put our trust in government. We're not called to put our trust in man. We're called to put our trust in a holy and righteous God. And if we do that, we remember where our hope lies. That our hope lies in Jesus Christ and his, his resurrection from the grave. And his, 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 his atoning blood, our hope, uh, it comes from when he is going to come back at the second coming 
of Jesus Christ, and we're raised from the dead, right? And that those that are in the dead are going to be raised up first. Those who are left behind are going to be uh, divided, those on his left and those on his right. And we know that when Jesus returns, brethren, there's going to be a, re a, a resurrection to life for those who have been living faithfully unto the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, we must remember who God calls us to be. We must remember that God, he, who he calls us to be, and as we interact with society, we must project the Christ-like qualities to those we come in contact with. That's why we're supposed to shine the light of Christ. That's why we're called to do these things. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be loving and compassionate and kind, generous, good, patient, peaceful, forgiving, uh, uh, faithful, and, and merciful. These are the, the, the deeds of the spirits. We're not called to live with the deeds of the flesh, which, uh, which are an abomination to God. And so we must not get caught up, brethren, by what's going on all around us in society. But remember to remain faithful unto God. Remain fa remember to re remain faithful unto God and remember what your purpose is. Brethren, I'm here to tell you, if you haven't been attending our Sunday morning Bible study, you need to get in our Sunday morning Bible study in our auditorium. Have your kids go to the classes. Not only are we teaching the Word of God, but on Sunday mornings, about six, seven weeks ago, we went back to the, uh, to the beginning. And not to the beginning as in Genesis 1-1, but we're going back to see the foundational pillars of our faith. The, the basic Christian tenets of our faith, so we could be more comfortable and confident, so we could take that out to share it with people, to teach people the Word of God, to teach them that there's hope of a better way and a better life. And so today, brethren, I want us to look to answer the question, what does it mean to be peacemakers? I want us to remember that we cannot be children of God uh, if we don't continuously strive to be peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, it says on the screen behind me, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called sons and daughters of God. And when you look at what, what is going on all of around us, it's easy to see why God says, blessed are the peacemakers. But going back to the beginning of this lesson, I asked the question, to be a peacemaker, does that mean we're the mediator of all disputes? And that we have to try to solve all the world's problems? What is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 talking about that blessed are the peacemakers? And we're going to look to answer those questions here this morning. You know, God's people are to be characterized by peace and love. We know that because that's what the scriptures teach. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You look at the next passage, uh, Romans 14 and 19. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all men and pursue sanctification, which is just another way of saying holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Brethren, you look at those passages of Scripture and they all have something in common. It talks about the peace that we are to have with all men. We're talking about the building up of one another's with the peace of God. We're talking about peace and sanctification and holiness uh, that we have in Christ Jesus. And without those things that no one will see the Lord. So we asked the question this morning, how are we to be peacemakers? And we look to answer that question as we go through this lesson. Notice that in all the various passages... That were they, they, they focused on peace, they focused on love, they focused on righteousness, they focused on sanctification. Notice what the Hebrew writer said. Without sanctification, without holiness, none of us will see the Lord. And yet, society, does it put a premium, does it place a premium on righteousness, 
on sanctification? Does it put a, a, a premium, place a premium on holiness? And yet, how could it place a premium on holiness when most of society is giving hearty approval of things that God calls an abomination? You guys remember what I said last week? I said when, we, when I was talking about truth, and I was talking about holiness, and I was talking about when I came to the Lord, I said there were many things I had to change about my life. Because in society, people said, Dave's a good guy. But God, when I read the Bible, said, Dave's an abomination. Well, which one is it? Is Dave an abomination, or is he a good guy? You see, brethren, it depends on whose standard you use. Are we going to use worldly standards, or are we going to use godly standards? And so, brethren, stop putting so much mental energy into what the government and society around you are doing, because those things are destined to fail. Those things are destined to fail, and they contain no eternal bearing on our lives. Instead, refocus your mind on your mission. You guys remember what your mission is, right? It's to be faithful and true unto God and to allow Jesus Christ and the character of Jesus Christ that's working through you to be attractive. To be attractive to all you come in contact with. So when they see you, they see a mini-Christ, so to speak. They see the love of Christ in you. They see the good works of Christ in you. They see the kindness, the grace, and the mercy of Christ in you. You see, brother, we're supposed to be a reflection of our master. We're supposed to be, as disciples of Jesus Christ, a reflection of our teacher. And so, when others see you, do they see Christ in you? Are you one way around people of faith, and do you live and act another way around people of the world? Because the answer to that question will determine who you are in Christ. Are you that, are you that guy or that woman that, that makes Christ sick? You know, Revelation chapter 3, where it talks about because you're lukewarm, he goes, you literally, he goes, you make me sick. That I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Which one is it? Are you all in for Christ? Or are you all in for the world? Do you give hearty, thing, hearty approval of the things that the world approves, even though God, that you know that God disapproves of? Because you can't be pleasing to God, you can't be a peacemaker, and give hearty approval of things that God disapproves of. So brother, brothers and sisters, peace in society first begins... It first begins within us as individuals. Peace in society first begins with us with uh, begins within us as individuals. Peace comes from when we replace greed, distrust, when we when we replace jealousy and lies and hatred with love and mercy and forgiveness and brotherly kindness. It is not the absence of war, brothers and sisters, that makes for peace, but it is the presence of God in the world and the presence of God in us as individual. That makes for peace. And so again, it is not the absence of war that makes for peace, but it's the presence of God in a sin-filled world. Those living under the reign of God and his rule of law must actively pursue holiness in a world that's shattered by hostility, in a world that's shattered by division and, uh, and immorality of all various sorts. And so the New Testament places a premium on restoring relationships but we must remember that we do not control the attitudes of others, amen? But we must and can be in control of our own attitudes. You can't, you can't uh, determine how somebody's going to respond to your Christ-like mindset, if truly you have one, but you can control your own mindset. Listen to what Jesus teaches in this next passage of Scripture about our attitudes, even about uh, those who oppose us. Maybe those who hate us. Maybe those who are our enemies. What does Jesus say? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, anytime the teacher, the master, the Lord says, but I say to you, you might want to pay attention. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on, the, on, the, on evil and on the good, and he sends his reign on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So friends and family, never forget. Never forget that all mankind has sinned, which has caused us to become enemies of God. And we know that sin has separa separated us from God, uh, at the, and, and at the right moment in time, Galatians 4 and 4 says that God has sent forth his son into the world. And God did this because he loves all his creation. He doesn't desire that any of us should perish, but that all of us have come to repentance. And all of us may live on eternally with him in paradise. So brothers and sisters, God did this because he loves us. But also remember that as you love those who hate you, each generation of Christians learns that the message of peace is not always going to be accepted uh, with hearty approval in society. We know Jesus says, if they hated me, if they hated you, they hated me first. Jesus warned all of his disciples, warned his apostles what was going to come. He warned them of apostasy. He warned them of persecution. He warned them of all that they were going to experience. So that way, when these things happened, they could remember that Jesus had told them these things. So brothers and sisters, nevertheless, the act of pursuit of peace, it shows the very character of God. And peacemakers are identified by God as beloved children. Amen? Just as many throughout time have rejected the love of God and have rejected the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, many will also reject us as God's representative. There's a reason why the, narrow, uh, the gate is narrow. Right? There's a reason why the, the Broadway is, is wide and it's wide open for those who are going down the wrong path. There's a reason why Jesus said, I didn't, come to bring a, uh, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Because he knew that his word, his teachings were going to cause division, not only in society, but in people's homes. And that fathers were going to be set against sons and mothers against daughters and daughter-in-laws against mother-in-laws. That there would be division. That the truth, the word of God would cause division in the home and it would likewise cause division in society. So that's why I asked the question in the beginning. Does being a peacemaker mean that we are the mediator of all disputes? Or are we to be peacemakers by bringing the gospel of peace into all of society? Is it the gospel of peace that brings peace and that, 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 that brings people together? Or is it man-made teachings and ideologies? You see, brethren, the answer is very clear. The peacemaker is the one who adjusts their life and, and, lines, and aligns their life with the very law of God. The peacemaker is also an individual who makes it their life's mission to share the gospel with others. You don't have to uh, uh, stand up in a pulpit every week to share the gospel. All you have to do is have a love for God and a desire to understand his word and then have that same desire to share it with others. I asked, I asked a question a couple weeks ago. How many of us here, by raise of hand, were mentored by somebody and that was how you came to be uh, in, in, in the church, how you came to be a member of the Lord's church. And many people raised their hand. And I simply asked the question then, who are you mentoring? If you were mentored by somebody, and you're studying to show yourself approved, your faith hasn't become stagnant, who are you mentoring? Is that a logical question? 
right? It's a logical question because how can you share your faith if you're not mentoring anybody, if you're not helping anybody? So brothers and sisters, remember what it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. How beautiful, are the, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. Brethren, it is peace that Christ came to preach, and it is love and reconciliation and peace that we preach through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that peace and that love and that reconciliation is with sinful man being reconciled unto a holy and righteous God. And so that's what it means to be peacemakers. But before I close this lesson down, I need to make a point. Because as peacemakers, we are not to be the mediator of all disputes. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, it's a passage about reconciliation unto God, and it, it involves the doctrine of God. And it involves us taking the doctrine out into the world. That's why Jesus told his disciples to go out into the world, right? Teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus gave them that command to go and to share the word of God. And so friends and family, brothers and sisters, we need to, to, to understand that the peacemaker is the disciple who shows the people of the world how to find peace with God. That is who the peacemaker is. And we find that peace with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. While not getting caught up in the affairs of the world, remember that every passage that I showed you is about peace, and it was written in a time of great duress. It was written in a time of great persecution. And so it was written to a people, uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, to teach them how they could uh, be peacemakers through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at that time in history, in that time in the church, they were being persecuted first by the Jews and then by, the, uh, by state-sponsored terror, so to speak, from the Roman government. So in light of Jesus being the supreme peacemaker and making peace between God and man and man in itself, our peacemaking must include the teaching of the gospel to all who, all who will hear it. For God's peace has nothing to do with politics, God's peace has nothing to do with armies and navies or councils of nations. It has nothing to do with heads of states or compromise. It has nothing to do with negotiated truces or treaties. God's peace, the peace for which the Bible speaks of, has nothing to do with peace at any price. You see, brethren, it doesn't call us to gloss over, to hide, to rationalize, or to excuse all of the immorality that we see in order to have peace between various factions. God calls us to, uh, to confront the spiritual problems of the world and to, seek to solve, uh, and seek to solve the spiritual problems of the world by building a bridge, by building a bridge between those who are outside of Christ to those who are inside of Christ. And we do so with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do so by reflecting Jesus as our Lord and Savior and making Christianity attractive. Stop walking around defeated and depressed because of what's going on in society, what's going on in the world. I'm here to tell you that America will never be as bad as the Roman Empire was. But yet, where do we see Jesus ever focusing on all the, on all the, the racism, the pain, and the, and the religious intimidation, and all of the pain and the suffering and sorrow that we see today? They had it back then on steroids, times 100. And so simply ask yourself, are you going to just continue to focus on all the evil that is of the world? And, or are you going to focus on your mission 
as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you going to focus in on your purpose that God has given you to go and to be a peacemaker by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with all who will hear it? So brothers and sisters, as I close this down, remember the peacemaker puts love in the place of hate and the peacemaker gains the trust of those he influences. So stop getting caught up in all the politics of the day. Uh, stop wasting your mental energy on all the various ideologies and conspiracy theories of mankind and instead refocus your mind and refocus your time and your energy on what God has ordained us as individuals to do, and that is to make sure that we share the gospel, to seek and to save that which is lost, all the while showing the world the love, the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness that's only found in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, as I close this down, if you are hearing this message today, and maybe you've been away from the church for a while, and you want to be restored and maybe you want to, or maybe you've been, you've been reading the Word of God. Maybe you've been studying with somebody. Maybe somebody here has been mentoring you, but you still haven't given your life to Christ. You wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins because we know that baptism now saves us. First Peter 3 and 21 literally says the words that baptism saves us. Well, if you're outside of the church, brethren, you could be included into the, uh, you could be uh, added to the kingdom of God by God himself as it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, and you do that by being baptized for the remission of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself adds you to the kingdom. If that is your desire this morning, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.